Welcome to Frankly Coaching, the podcast for change makers, hosted by life and business coach Pooja K. McClymon. If you enjoy listening, I'd be so grateful for your review on Apple Podcasts or rating over on Spotify, because change only happens when we take action. Thank you so much for listening today. Hello, it's season four, episode six. Have you ever read a book and felt like the author wrote that book just for you? When I was sent Minda Zetlin's book, Career Self-Care, Find Your Happiness, Success and Fulfillment at Work, that is exactly what I felt. Each page invited me to remember just how difficult it was to be in the workplace. And honestly, if I'd had this book before I burnt out, I might just be in a very different place now. Minda Zetlin is an author, speaker, journalist and contributing editor at Inc. Her newest book, is called Career Self-Care, Find Your Happiness, Success and Fulfillment at Work. She is former president of the American Society of Journalists and Authors and a contributor to CNBC.com, Insider.com and CIO.com. In the show today, Minda dives deeper into the chapters of the book and how you can give your career some much needed self-care, along with some incredible tips to help you take stock of what's important to you in your own career. I'd love to continue this conversation in my private group over in the Telegram app. So head to the show notes for the link. And whilst you're in the podcast app, please rate the show. Okay, let's do this. Hi, Minda. Thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. So if you could wave a magic wand today, what would you love to happen? Well, I mean, if you ask me a question like that, I'm going to think about things like getting the Russians out of Ukraine, Mm -hmm. turning back climate change. But if we're going Mm -hmm. to confine it to the things in in my book or that my book is about, um, I would really like for everyone to be able to be human wherever they are, and particularly at work. Uh, Mm -hmm. Our workplaces traditionally have so much pushed people away from their own humanity. And I Mm -hmm. think that's just been bad for everyone everyone Mm. involved yeah absolutely I mean I I was just saying to you when I was reading the book so much of it resonated with my previous life when I was in employment and also where I am now as a business owner and and you know you'll you'll be able to relate to this too as a freelancer and you're feeling like you know where's where's the next check coming from I need to work harder I need to work later I need to meet those deadlines otherwise I'm not going to get more work and I found it so interesting as I was reading it because you'd mentioned on our first call how as you were writing the book that you were finding that you had to sort of check into your own self-care as as a result and I thought that was that really resonated with me as I actually read the book what did you find when you were as you were like going through the book and writing it, what what were the standout moments for the self-care that you needed to give yourself? Did you think? Um, as I was, well, it wasn't, it didn't just start with writing the book. So the book comes out of 10 years of writing the column, the laid back leader for the Inc. Magazine website. Mm-hmm. And both because I liked them and because readers clearly liked them. I did a lot more and more of these pieces about how to be mindful at work, how to be productive, how to have, a, you know, my shorthand is how to have a great career and a happy life without making yourself miserable. So mm. a lot of the things that I was writing were kind of in that direction. And as I was talking to these experts and reading these studies and things, 
I, I did start doing this stuff myself. Like someone explained to me the real importance of taking having one day a week. I mean, I know a lot of us work on weekends, but having one solid day a week where you do no work whatsoever mm. and why that's really important for your brain health and your creativity and your learning and everything. So, um, so the more I was writing these columns, the more I was kind of doing what it said in the columns. Mm. And when I wrote the book, um, I also had to, I was still working full time doing my other writing. Uh, I've never, it's not my first book, but it's the first time that I've written a book where I had so much other stuff also going on simultaneously. Mm. So I had to really work at balancing that. And, um, and it, it was hard. And, and the other thing that made it hard was because I cared so much about this project, mm. I really wanted every word in it to be from the heart and not just, you know, a good professional writing job, but really from me. Yeah. And so what I wound up doing was pushing the deadline um, twice. And <laughs> you can't always do that with every project, but the publisher was super understanding about it. Yeah. And um, I mean, it was definitely worth it. So thank you it, publisher, it was, for doing that. Yeah. It was, but one, one of the things that I, I did, so this is a, <laughs> this is a weird side um, thing, but it, yeah. it just might be fun to talk about for a second. So, you know, so I have my kind of everyday work and then I would need to switch into the brain that I was using to write the book. And it, it was mm. like, I was coming from a different mental space. And so many years ago, my husband and I took a tantric sex, work, sex workshop, which I highly, highly recommend for couples. It was a wonderful experience for us, at least. Well, this took a turn. <laughs> it did take a turn, but, but I'll, you'll see what the connection is in one second. Yeah. So one of the things we learned in the workshop is that you can transform your, your regular space, like your bedroom usually is your bedroom where, you know, you scroll social media and sleep or whatever, but if you change the lighting a little bit, you know, music, scented candles, whatever, you can sort of create a different environment mm -hmm. for yourselves, in this case, a more romantic environment without having to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And what I realized was I could do the same thing while I was working. So when I was working on the book, I changed the lighting, I lighted scented candles, I put on Baroque music, which I did not listen to any other time. And it kind of, it dropped me right back into that project so yeah. beautifully. Um, and I had never tried that, not or at least not to that degree before, but it was really um, surprisingly effective and, mm. and it's good for, you know, getting to that deep space fast. Yeah, is that is the art of the ritual, isn't it? That evokes all these feelings. And I mean, we can do it in, it's like when you taste something and it reminds mm. you of yep. a time in your life, doesn't it? Yep. You, just, you just zone into that space. It's almost yep. like you can viscerally feel everything that was happening at that moment. There's, right. a, chew, there's a chewing gum that does that for me. I, 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 every yeah. time I'm transported to being 17 at college, it's yeah. yeah, they say American Americans go back to our childhoods when we smell Play-Doh. There's a reason um, all these, I don't know if it's like that in the UK, but in the United States, many, many McDonald's have these big play play areas built in, you know, that mm -hmm. are really fun for kids. And the reason is that McDonald's understands that if you play, if you have all this fun as a kid while mm -hmm. smelling McDonald's, then that smell is always going to have that, that appeal and bring up that memory. Um, yeah. It's super powerful. I would agree with you there. I think McDonald's is definitely one of the the best companies to um, understand psychological human behavior to a T compared to many, many others, because it does this. The smell is 
I, I want to say it's literally the same smell as I remember from a child. And, and you know the smell as soon as you walk, drive past or walk past. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Anyway, let's not start making ourselves a little bit hungry. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that. I love that you've created the different environments. Environment is actually, it plays a really big role in the work that I do as well. So I look at 12 key areas of a client's life and environment is one major one because we sort of get dogged into feeling like, oh, you know, if we're working from home, my home is my office now and there's no clear distinction. And it's it's about, well, you know, there are there are ways to change the literal pockets of environments that you have you know try not to work at the dining table don't work on your bed you know create that zone and keep it simple don't overthink it people overthink it and it's like no you literally just need a small table or a stool whatever you know your resources allow you and that's enough for you to create a separate environment and get you focused into work and things so I completely relate to that Okay, so let's get into it because there's so much to get into. Now, I have, I will be very honest with you, it took me two tries to pick out a couple of chapters to talk about because as I was reading it, I was like, oh my God, she's written this book for me. And then as I was reading further, I was like, And I can give this book to my clients because they will totally resonate with everything that is being said. And as literally as I was reading it, I could hear things that my clients say to me on a daily, weekly basis. And I was astounded like how absolutely perfect the book has been written. But I haven't. (laughs) but I have I genuinely mean it I I don't just give compliments out for the sake of it I've genuinely heartfelt and I texted you about it didn't I as I was going through it and I was like my god this book is amazing I don't know what to do um so yeah really amazing so I was looking at one of well the way I sort of whittled it down was where there could be crossover between the work that I do in coaching and obviously what you're what you're what you've touched upon in the book there are so many other chapters that we could have explored, but I think I also want to leave the, the listener with you know, a reason to read the book because there is so much. And I've highlighted so much. I was doing it sort of on the iPad and I just I went back to all my highlights. I was like, there are far too many highlights in here. So get focused. OK, so the first chapter that I wanted to talk about a little bit was about who's your tribe. And I know we, we just had a little chat about it, but. Why do you think it's so important to surround yourself with the right people? Oh, well, um, well, we need, we all need community. It's like a a basic hardwired human need, Mm. right? Um, So much so that people with communities literally live longer in uh, the blue zones where people, uh, some places around the world where people routinely live to be more than 100 years old. Mm. Uh, a lot of the things that they do are things that your mother and your doctor have told you you need to do. They eat lots of vegetables. They get, you know, they get a lot of walking in. Um, but they also all live in really tight knit communities. And there's um, anthropological research that shows that humans survive longer in communities, which makes sense if you think about the evolution of humans as as beings. Right? Mm. We, we've been tribal, and a, a human is more helpful to the survival of the tribe if they're in the tribe. So we all need to have a tribe. <laughs> it's it's really that simple. And in um, Okinawa, which is one of the blue zones, 
young children are, there's a tradition where young children are assembled into a group called a Moai. And that group of people, it started out as a village, now it's a small group, will support each other, whatever happens. So if somebody gets uh, a windfall, it'll be shared. Mm-hmm. If somebody has um, a disaster and unexpected, an unexpected expense, um, everybody will chip in. And so everyone is safer mm. <laughs> and more supported. And we can do this in our own ways in, in different groupings. So uh, for many of us, because we're the book is career self-care, for many mm-hmm. of us, having a moai around what we do for work can really help advance us in our careers in all kinds of ways. You get inside information, you get information about other opportunities, you get advice about how to solve specific problems. Mm. Pretty much whatever you do, even if you're a solopreneur, a one-person business, um, like I am really, um, being able to call on the counsel of other people doing the same work that you do Mm. and who understand what the challenges are is just extremely valuable. So Mm. In, in so many ways, having a community will just really help with your career and, and with your life. Yeah, yeah. And I, I 100% agree with you. We have, I don't know if you guys have it over there, but we um we have work wives. So my work wife <laughs> sort of thing is like your, you know, your sort of work bestie. And, and, mm-hmm. and there are so many memes and things related to them that we could all relate to. We've all been there, you know, like she's ready waiting for the gossip and, you know, mm-hmm. hates when they go away on holiday and things like that. But yes, I I agree when I've worked in when I've worked in employment, it has been great having that community, like my my workplace community as well as friendships and 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 family. And a lot of I was thinking about this as I was reading the chapter, a lot of my friendships have stemmed from work relationships. And you know, we're we're still celebrating each other's lives today. So it's really, really amazing. Do you think that social media has change the way we approach the word community I almost feel like social media has saturated the word community and and morphed it into something that it's I I guess detached from its original roots so in the way that you're talking about the the tribes you know the the groups of people in in, in Japan we, we don't tend to this is my perception we don't tend to be that way anymore we're more I don't know, scared to be generous with our time and our support and our love and our care in the same way. What do you think? Well, that might be true. I think um, in general, everyone in the world is more pressured in terms of the constant flood of content, things to do, social Mm -hmm. media, like you said, media, media. Um, And I, I think, I think, Social media is very much a double-edged sword. And I say this as someone who's never quite gelled with social media the way so many people I know have. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so many people who are kind of addicted to Facebook. And I, my feeling about Facebook is more utilitarian. Like I know I need to look there to find out what's going on with people I care about. But I, I don't particularly necessarily mm-hmm. have fun there. I hear but, you. I hear you. <laughs> I am completely on your wavelength. Yes. But um. So it's complicated. So social media is a great way to um, stay in touch with an extended 
circle of friends. It's a great mm-hmm. way to meet people who might have similar interests to yours. It's a great way to get, you know, some of the advice and counsel that I have been talking about. Um, but I think it also, it, it it's limited or limiting, or it can be in the way people relate. There's mm. an infinite number of, of variety of different ways to use social media to either have deeper relationships or more shallow relationships. So mm. I um, am in favor of the deeper relationships in general. I think there is something special that happens when people get together in real life. Mm. Um, but I also realize that that's not always possible for every relationship. Um, mm. I have, you know, in ASJA, ASJA only gets together once a year, mm. but many of us kind of stay in touch throughout the year in different ways. That's not the same as having, you know, a friend that you have coffee with exactly, but those, those friendships and those relationships are useful. So um, social media gets a bad rep for sure. Social media (laughs) certainly can do a lot of harm. I mean, there's no question, obviously you're looking at um, the 2016 election in the United States and, Mm. you know, many, many other things. There's no question that social media can be manipulated to be very Mm. harmful. Yeah. But um, but it's also a useful tool. So yeah. the, the question is how how do you use it and how do you balance it with your your real life? Mm, absolutely, I th- I ask that question a lot. So it's nice to know I'm not the only one because I feel like I have this I have a very love hate relationship with social media. Sometimes I find it really helpful and useful, but when it comes to me creating content in order to spread my work, my mission, you know, not in a salesy way, but in a general genuine, you know sharing the mission it I just get very I guess uh, I I almost overthink it and because I overthink it it feels very forced and unnatural and I've never been able to gel with it in in the way that so many other people like you say are you know just love it and do really well in it so that that's definitely interesting the other chapter which obviously caught my attention was chapter 10 about do what you love And now I use this in coaching a lot. I'm very much about, you know, are you doing the thing that you are meant to be doing? Are you doing what you were supposed to be doing and and based on the expectations of others and things like that? But I do find that people get can be quite resistant to it because they they think that, oh, if I do what I love, that means that I've got to give up my you know, well-paying job and, mm-hmm. and and sack it all in and then go and make jam at a farmer's market, <laughs> and, you know, which I've done myself. And I, I always come back to someone like, no, 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 no. Doing what you love doesn't mean that. It could mean that. And obviously, as, as I was reading the chapter, without giving it all away, you know, you, you do talk about the two sides. Um, and one of the things that I found really interesting was the Jim Carrey quote that he says that you can fail at what you don't want. So you might as well take a chance on doing what you love. And I thought, yes, I love that. That really epitomizes everything that I say to clients, but with that doing what you love, and this is weaving into 19 year old self. So I'm going to try <laughs> And bring it back in. You see, I knew it was going to be a difficult one today because there was just so much. But in the vein of doing what you love, do you think, I mean, you know, this could be from feedback from your, your readers or the people that you talk to as you're writing the book over the years. Are people more inclined to do what they love? Do they trust that enough? Or 
do you think that there's still quite a majority on the fence with it? Ooh, complicated question. Wow. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I so, didn't mean so, it to be. We can no, it's, it, yeah, no, it's great. Um, but let's uh, actually Jim Carrey's a great place to start. So, yes. so let's go back and talk about him a tiny bit because that uh, quote came from a now legendary commencement speech he gave at Maharishi University, which you mm-hmm. can find on YouTube and which um, I think everyone should watch. So what he talked about was that his father, who maybe would have been as talented as a comedian as um, Jim Carrey is, mm-hmm. uh, instead worked in, I can't remember, I want to say insurance or something. Or, but anyway, he had an office job and um, he got fired and the family wound up at one point living in a car and it was it was quite dire. And what he said he learned from that is is that, you know, you, you can you can quote unquote play it safe. And it, you and it still might not be safe. Mm-hmm. So as long as if you recognize that nothing in this world is safe, why not try for something that you love? Um, but what he talked about throughout that speech was making decisions that most of us make decisions based on one of two things: either fear or love. And mm-hmm. the more you can make decisions based on love rather than fear, the more joy you're going to find in your life and the more you'll be able to um, get what you need, find what, find what you love. Mm. So in terms of, in terms of doing what you love. um, Yeah. I think, you know, especially at times of economic uncertainty that we may all be globally heading into people do um, gravitate towards what feels safe. I Mm. think people based on, the experiences that they've had um, may gravitate toward what they feel will provide a steady income. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I mean, making enough money to be able to do the things you want and need to do is part of loving your job. And there are people who, for whom money is a great big game mm-hmm. and they love that. I mean, look at Warren Buffett. He's, mm-hmm. He doesn't need any more money, <laughs> but, you know, and he says this, he says, it's a great game. I love this game of, you know, figuring out what companies are going to make money and therefore I should invest in them. So I'm not saying caring about money is bad, (laughs) Um, but I do think that most of us, and not all of us, but most of us can find a way to do more of what we love, even if it's within the jobs that we already have. Mm. Um, Or maybe it could be, um, you know, making a lateral move, starting a small side hustle. There, there are a lot of ways to uh, go towards more of what you love without taking a yeah. big huge financial risk because, you know, depending on your situation on who's depending on you to, mm. to put a roof over their heads or not, some of us are in a, in a circumstance where we can take risks and mm. try new things. And if you're in that situation and you're not happy doing what you're doing, then I do encourage you to to take a flyer. Um, But if you're not, I still encourage you to look for the things that make you happier within the job you have. Look for the opportunities around you to possibly move to something else or add Mm -hmm. something else or get rid of some of the tasks that you really don't like. Um, I think what's sad is that a lot of people settle on something and then they're scared to make a change or to make a move. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's, you know, and that's 
human nature because the familiar is always less scary than the unfamiliar. Yeah. I mean, that's why I have a job now. So doing what I do, helping people with that sort of crossroads moment, something doesn't feel right, but I'm not sure what it is. I'm too right. scared to take a leap, you know, and, and that does make a change, but, but that that's, and we're going to go, this is going to lead us into the next chapter that I wanted to talk about, but it really does boil down to, I think a couple of things, like you say, leading from love rather than fear and also what success means to you as an individual because I think we all grow up with this certainly in the west this um view of well we need a good education so that we can have a good career and make a Mm -hmm. good amount of money that pays the bills and allows us to travel and you know and all those things in that order and you know it's it's the 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 decent jobs the as an Indian it was very much you know be a doctor lawyer accountant that's it Mm -hmm. those are the only jobs available for you and (laughs) and you don't get nurtured to do anything else everything else is like oh but it won't be secure and you know and I can understand where that all comes from for our parents you know as immigrants into the country so safety and security especially financially would be very important to them but Further to that, with regards to success, what I found really interesting, Robin Sharma, I don't know if you're familiar with him, as an, he's, a, he's a leadership coach and author. And in one of his books, The Everyday Hero Manifesto, he talks about a road sweeper in this, in this book. And the road sweeper himself is so, he loves the job that he does. He said, if, you know, as I clean the roads, I am creating a lovely environment for people to come and do their day. And I'm this sort of secret worker. Nobody knows that I'm here doing this. And, and I ensure I do a really good job of sweeping the road. And that makes me really proud and really happy. And when I go home, I'm obviously taking that energy back home and that sense of well-being for my family. And I remember reading that and I thought, well, that was, you know, a a simple analogy, but it really did shift the way I saw success because the way I saw success was very much in the expectations of others and society at large saying, this is how it should be. But I was like, obviously I need money, got to pay a mortgage, you know, bills and things. But beyond that, I don't need all the lavish things. And I've, gone that way had all the lavish things and then burnt out and had a (laughs) breakdown and depression and then yeah I had a full-on event and then and now I've like downsized my life and I'm still ambitious you know you, you cite this in the book it doesn't mean if you're not successful you're not ambitious you still have your ambitions and your goals but you're not so tied to, and I guess this is the attachment, you're not so tied to success being a destination. And that really makes a difference in the way you actually approach your life and your work. And you can be a lot happier that way. Yeah, I, I mean, that's one of the things I've read about in the book, but success isn't a destination. Success is like East. You know, if you if you go North, you eventually hit the North Pole. But if you go East, there's no point where you've gone all the way East, even if you keep going around the world and come right back to where you started. And success yeah. is like that because wherever, whatever you get to, you're always looking for the next thing. You always want something else. So I think we, we all need to let go of the idea that someday we'll be successful and we'll feel successful because you can accomplish something that you have been working on for a long time or mm. wanting for a long time. I happen to have you know, hit a couple of those things recently in my own career. Mm. And that's great. And you can, you can be proud of your accomplishments, but you won't ever feel like, okay, I'm there. (laughs) You know, I have achieved success and there's nothing else for me to do. Mm. 
So, um, so as long as we all keep that in mind, I think we might as well all just decide that we're successful right now because yeah. we're never I mean, going to get there. We might as well decide we're there. Yeah. And, and this is when I was reading, um, what was it? Chapter 14, when I was reading chapter 14, which is the dirty secret about success. And you were saying, just be successful now. You are successful now, just as you are, right as you are. And then it leads into the the conversation with your 19 year old self. And, and that really hit me hard. I was like, Oh, Minda's in my head now. And I did the, as I was reading your words, I was then every sentence that I was reading, I was doing a conversation with my 19 year old self. And, and then I started like, you know, going through the years and I thought, wow, if I fully did this exercise, it would be quite mind blowing, you know, the journey from 19 to where am I now? 42 it's quite the journey and actually yes yes Minda I am successful as I was reading it I was like yeah I see I see that and and I agree with you with the that feeling that we're expecting to receive when we achieve success in inverted commas doesn't exist because it's not something that's that's tangible you know you you don't know what it's going to look like and this is what I loved that you talked about, which was the condition of satisfaction question, Mm -hmm. because I do this with my clients as well. So for instance, I was talking to you about a a retreat I'm running in January. And what happens with that retreat? This is, this is a retreat that you plan the year ahead. Right. And, and people find that quite overwhelming. They're like, Oh my God, like what every single day? No, not every single day. The (laughs) core goals in the key areas of your life that are important to you, but we actually make a sustainable plan. So you're more likely to achieve it. And I, and I always end it, this particular sequence of events with, and then what, what, what will show you that you have had a good year or that you have succeeded this year? You need to write those things down now so that when you come to December 31st and you're thinking, oh, I still didn't lose weight and I still yeah. didn't get that promotion and I still didn't move house, you can look and see, oh, this is what I wanted to achieve. Yes, I have been to spin class every day this year or or three or four times Mm. a week you know I have eaten more healthily I have decreased my cholesterol levels whatever it is you know I have earned more money and I thought that was a really really good question do you do that question with yourself often or is that something that you sort of you did once and Um, I I do it sometimes. I probably don't do these exercises as much as I would like to, but I do, um, I do make lists of things always, not, not every year, but um, month by month Mm. and week by week of things that I want to get done. And then I go back and look at the list. And of course, especially week by week, you know, a lot of the times they're, eh, no, that didn't happen. (laughs) Um, But they do happen. And I put in, I, I have in, um, I have a whole, journaling section in the book which I we're not so going to get good. into it but, was so good <laughs> but I do do that for myself and one of the yeah. things I put in there is things that I want to get done and when I want to get them done by because if you set a goal without a plan for when you're going to accomplish it um then it probably won't happen yeah <laughs> and if you say okay um I can't do that this week because you know there's all this other stuff going on but by three months from now I want to have taken this step mm-hmm. uh, then sometimes that does happen. Yeah. So that's kind of how I do that. And condition of satisfaction is actually a term I got from my own coach. So 
<laughs> it's totally, totally funny that and appropriate that, you know, another coach would glom onto that one. Yeah. Yeah. I I was like, oh my God, I do. I completely do that. That's brilliant. It's nice though. It's nice to read those sorts of things because it, it gives me a little bit of validation of knowing I'm, I'm doing the right thing. You know, that was featured in a book and yourself has, has experienced it, written about it. So it's always, always nice to read. Okay. Chapter 16 was quite a tough read, I'll be honest, because of my own personal experience. And it was about why you have to stop working so hard. Ah. Yeah. And that first story that you write about, which I won't give away because I think I think people need to read it. That first story resonated heavily with me. There, there was a lot of correlation. And it's interesting because I've I've got gotten to a point now where I can sense the burnout coming on or I can I notice the signs more of myself not I mean obviously I notice other people but I mean more for myself so I've learned to manage that because I am susceptible to that the late nights you know running your own business and it it naturally happens the chapter is called why you've got to stop working so hard and um it totally is personal because it came out of an experience I myself had where I was working um, seven days a week and too many hours. And Mm. my husband uh, complained that I was never available to talk to him, which is pretty ridiculous when you consider I was working at home. He was working at home. Mm. We were under the same roof all day, but I wasn't available. Um, And one of the things that I got out of that doing that is that in fact, if you're ambitious and you want to get on in your career, um, working all these excessive hours is in fact, most of the time, not a good way to do that. Now, you know, I say that, and of course there are always times there's a big deadline. There's a, you know, a big client needs something from you. Um, your boss has, you know, there, there are always crunch times. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that it's never a good idea to add, um, extra hours to your work day or your work week, but it is not a good idea to do it as an ongoing normal way Mm. of conducting your work life. And one of the reasons for that is that you actually, and I've seen this with other, with people over and over again, you actually will do better at your job and be more successful if you don't. Um, If you make sure to take uh, a day off, at least one day off, fully off work every week. If you make sure to take um, frequent breaks throughout the day. Breaks, it turns out, are incredibly important for learning, for creativity, for innovation. If you, um, it has to do with the way your brain works, um, your prefrontal cortex focuses. When you take that focus off, then other parts of your brain come into play, new neural pathways form. So mm-hmm. it's super helpful to take breaks like that. And um, it's super helpful to figure out what are the specific things in front of you that will meaningfully move you towards your idea of success, whatever that is. And it might not be the same as, you know, someone else's and to make sure that to the greatest degree possible, those are the things that you're doing and prioritizing and that you are eliminating and saying no. And I know saying no is really difficult for all of us, Mm. including me Mm. um, to the things that don't move you in that direction. Because I think most of us just say yes to, you know, all the opportunities and invitations um, and conversations and meetings and projects that come along Mm -hmm. until we're at capacity and we're full and then we can't add one more thing. 
And the problem with that is that um, that one more thing that you can't add might be something that you really need to do that's really important to you, or maybe even that's really important, you know, in your life. Um, I think I wrote about it in that chapter, or maybe not, but um, at one point when I was working those really tough hours, my husband and I got exposed to the same germs. He got bronchitis, I got pneumonia, and I had to bail on a commitment I had that weekend mm -hmm. to go care for my mother who had Alzheimer's and my stepfather who was 101 years old and they were being cared for by the family. They really needed me to be there and I couldn't be there because first of all, I wasn't well enough. And second of all, I was carrying pneumonia and mm -hmm. couldn't go near elderly people. And I felt terrible about that. Um, so the more we learn to set these parameters and the more we learn to really focus on the stuff that moves the needle mm. and eliminate as much of the rest as we can mm. actually the more successful we are and i have talked to so many people who have cut down their work weeks and their work hours and seen their careers thrive to a greater extent than before yeah and it's i mean you know it's it, and everything has a knock-on effect because you're thriving in your career you're feeling better about yourself you're feeling better about work and, and your energy and then something that I get a lot from my clients and I experience too um as a mum where we don't feel like we're spending enough quality time I guess with mm -hmm. our children it's mostly it's time for dinner brush your teeth do this mm -hmm. do that rather than actually just sitting and being silly with them or playing a board game or reading for pleasure with them, you know, rather than, oh, we've got to read this because I've got to sign your book for, for the teacher. It's more sort of, let's read something together. Let's play a board game. And it is really lovely that, you know, you can get to a, a, a place, especially if you take that Friday off, <laughs> you know, in the week and, and give that extra time to the things that matter to you, whether that's a workout, that's a hobby, you know, pottery or anything. I do think that that really makes a massive difference in your, your well-being, but also those for those around you as well. Yes. And it, it also, um, by the way, not working yourself. Um, it's very, very hard to work these extremely long hours and still be fully present, mm. fully centered, um, able to be your best self in every interaction. So if you're a leader and you have people reporting to you, you're going to do that mm. much, much more effectively if you're getting an appropriate amount of rest. Yeah. But I also, so I'm not a parent of small children. So I, I only, um, as like you are, so I only know about this from observation and mm. research, but um, I think that that's incredibly hard. And I think um, if you don't, if you're not careful, you can be um, saddled with guilt all of the time because mm -hmm. no matter what you're doing, it seems like you ought to be doing something else. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and you're, you know, you're, like you're in that cycle of I'm never doing enough, you know. Right, right, right. And, and, but yet you're 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 stretched to capacity right. on, on what you could be doing in any area, you know. And you, we do give so much to our work, of course we do. And you know, a, a lot of working parents we want to give to our work. We enjoy that satisfaction of working, you know, doing the doing the things that we love to do. And not only that, but you're modeling it for, for your kids, which is so important too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but I, I think, I think it's a tangle, but mm. yes, take, taking, um, taking a step back from the incredibly long work hours is a great place to start. Um, my friend Shalmina Abji, who also has a new book out now called show your worth, um, did had went through that when she was climbing the ladder at IBM, she was a, the highest ranked, um, yeah woman of color at IBM before she left there. And 
her big career jump forward happened when abruptly, um, unexpectedly for her, her marriage ended and she found herself the single mother of two kids. Mm. And, you know, as she was kind of getting into uh, an important sales role at IBM and she had to figure out how to cut her work days way down because she had to be there to pick up the kids after school there. Her husband was no longer going to do it. And her career took off because she got very, very focused on what was important. Hmm. Okay. So the last chapter is actually, it's interesting. It's going to be the last chapter that we talk about. It's not the last chapter of the book, but it's usually the first thing that I ask anyone who wants to work with me. And it's, what do you really want? What do you really want? And I loved that you said you won't do everything right. And, you know, we talked about doing the things that we're meant to do or or we're told we're supposed to be doing. How do you think people can approach that? What do I really want question? Because I feel I find that people get really stuck because they don't they generally don't ask themselves that question or they haven't since they were children. You know, what do you want to be when you grow up or what do you want to what do you enjoy doing? And then we sort of like fall into adulthood and responsibilities. And we rarely ask that question to ourselves. What do you think would be a helpful place to start, I guess, with that question? Well, I mean, I, I think you're right. And I think that's sad. And I, um, I run into this myself. Um, and just so just to step, I know we're talking on the macro level, but just to step on the micro level for mm-hmm. one moment. Um, a lot of times when I get really wrapped up in work and all the different things that I need to do, and, you know, some of them are work things, some of them are, oh, I should be out getting exercise, I should be taking care of the yard, which mm. is kind of my responsibility in our household. Um, you know, so there's always should, 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 right? And you forget um, not just, you know, what do you want in the grand scheme of things, but what do you want right now? And mm. maybe you can do it, maybe you can't, but we do need to stop and ask ourselves, what do we want today? But also, um, yes, what do we want? Where do we want to be in a few years? What do we want our lives to be like? What mm. do we want to leave behind when we're gone, right? Because our careers are finite, our lives are finite. Um, you know, at some point they're going to be over. So every moment we're making a choice, whether we think about it or not, every moment we're making a choice about what's most important to us. Mm. So um, it's funny, but it kind of, I think it sort of goes back to some of the things we've been talking about because when you're in that rush, 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 should, should, should every moment, it's really hard to ask yourself Mm. this question. And when you build in time, time to meander, wander, Take a walk in nature. Um, you go know, on a retreat. Take a, t- take a nap. Go on a retreat. Um, all those things that help you step outside of mm-hmm. your usual rush to get the next thing done. Mm-hmm. That's when you can start asking yourself that question. Um, I think that's when people do start thinking about those things, whether even even if they haven't set out to do it, you know, even if you haven't sat down with your journal and said, okay, I'm going to take an hour now to figure out what I want to do this year, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, something that that I do. Um, But also when we take that time away from everything, from, from work, from social media, from all the stuff that's coming into our brains all the time, and we just somehow relax and step away, Mm. that question of, am I happy? Am I doing what I want? Am I going in the direction of what I love? 
Mm. will, I think, naturally come up and we can start finding the answers. Let's take a moment now to contemplate that question. What do you really, really want? Remember not to judge yourself as you think about this. See whatever comes to you and write down whatever comes to you as well. And hang on until the end for Minda's top three tips for career self-care. So Minda, what would your top three tips be for career self-care to anyone listening today? All right. So the first one is kind of going back to where we started. Mm -hmm. Remember that first and foremost, you're a human being and 
you should get to be a human being at every moment that you're working and every interaction that you're having with anyone. I like to use the phrase happy, healthy, and at ease for the state that we should all be in when we want to do our best work. So my first tip is do what you, to the degree that you can, do what you can to be happy, healthy, and at ease when you're at work. And for me, anyhow, that includes to whatever degree I can, being who I really am. Mm. So that would be tip number one. Tip number two is the importance of something we've been talking about, the importance of taking breaks. Mm. It's really important for your brain function, for your health, and for everything else. I would say to take one day off a week, to um, take at least one vacation every year, um, something Americans are terribly bad at. I'm not sure about British people, but I suspect. We're, we're a lot better, but I think Amer- you, Americans tend to have a lot less holiday. I think it's, some, it's that almost is also like true. 10 days but, versus our 20, 21 on average. Yeah, there, there's not really a national standard. It's mm. kind of employer by employer. And then a lot of us um, have, you know, piecework or hourly work where we're contractors. But mm. um, so, you know, do what you need to do. I and mean, sadly, even though Americans have less break time, most of us, the majority of us don't even take it all. So, mm. yeah, it, it's it's a it's a very, very bad. And, you know, and we feel like we'll fall if we do take time off, we'll fall behind. We'll be thought badly of um, it becomes um and then, you know, and then so we don't take a vacation. So then the person in the next cubicle also feels they can't take a vacation. It's a very bad pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, so break that pattern because actually you need those breaks to live a long, healthy life, if nothing else. People um, who don't take vacations die sooner. So mm-hmm. that's a that's a really bad idea. And the third thing, this is actually when I when I signed the book, this is I write make yourself happy because I think it's really the most important message in the book. Um, we're all responsible for our own happiness. And I think many of us are taught not to prioritize our own happiness because, you know, that's selfish, right? You really should be caring about the greater good, your family or whatever. Um, Actually, Robert Louis Stevenson said, the most misunderstood duty of all is the duty to be happy. And if you think about it, if you're happy, you're going to be a better boss. If you're if you're managing people, um, a better spouse, a much better parent, a better friend, also probably better at your work. Statistics show more likely to volunteer, more likely to make charitable contributions, more likely to vote, a better member of society in every way. The world around you is better if you are happy. So without harming anyone else, of course, do what you can to make yourself happy. It's just really important. What a brilliant way to end the show. Minda, thank you so much for being here. I could have talked to you for hours and I'm really mindful of time, but there's just so much good stuff in the book. So when is the book out? When's it, when's it ready to buy? It's 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 out now. It came out on uh, came out in June, and um, it's pretty everywhere. So um, it's you can find it on Amazon or any bookstore, or you can and you can find out much much more about me at mindazetland.com and you know sign up for my texts, my newsletters, and you know just generally get inside my brain. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking forward to doing that. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. This has been a true pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Frankly Coaching Podcast with Pooja McClymont. 
Let's keep the conversation going over in my private group on Telegram. Just hit the link in the show notes to join. And if you love the show, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a review on Apple Podcasts or a rating over on Spotify, because change only happens when we take action.